If you have a hard copy of the Bible, we are looking at Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12 this morning. If you're new, just to let you know, we're going through the Ten Commandments one per week. This term, um, you can pick up the others on our podcast, on Spotify, or on our website. Also, the Google podcast platform. We're working on the iTunes one. Uh, that's a work in progress. Um, I don't know if you like reading Stephen King. Any Stephen King fans in the house or watching his movies? A friend of mine uh, forced me to watch It, parts one and two. I'm still in therapy for that. Um, he's an interesting guy, Stephen King, and there's a common thread. Those who are Stephen King nerds will know what I'm talking about, but there is a common thread in his work. Um, and it's that the children always know what's going on. It's quite an interesting theme. The kids are always wiser than the adults in Stephen King books and movies. Uh, and it's normally the most outcast child, the biggest nerd, or the sickliest child, um, or perhaps the most abused child who, kn who really knows what's going on and who becomes a leader in the story and sees more clearly than anyone else. At best, the adults in Stephen King movies and books are portrayed as dumb or disappointing or absent or sometimes evil themselves and abusive themselves. Um, it's a common theme in the broader popular culture, I've noticed. The shows that my teenagers love watching, the parents are dumb and non-existent. And the teenagers are, of course, at the center. Now, friends, I don't need to convince you that children are at risk in our society today. There is evidence of that at almost every traffic light, isn't there? Um, widespread poverty, abuse, and neglect. And on a regular basis, we have horror stories in the press about unthinkable things being done to children in South Africa today. UNICEF reports that more than half the children in this country continue to live below the poverty line, and one-third of girls experience some form of violence before the age of 18. It's a crisis. But there is another equal opposite problem today with, that is also damaging to children that might be a little bit closer to home to us in this community, and that is that children are centralized and there is child-centric parenting. It's a common pattern of parenting that puts children at the center of the universe and creates an incubator for narcissists. And the rise in narcissistic personality disorder has been linked to child-centered parenting in the West. Uh, child-centered parenting is elevates children to the level of deity as children become little gods in the home. It used to be the view that children were a very welcome addition to the family, but the world did not revolve around them. It seems now for some parents that their whole lives and even their identity revolve around their children. Now today we come to the fifth commandment. Um, and it's really, let's remember that the commandments are headings of themes that are unpacked later on in the book of Exodus for us. Uh, you can think of Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments, as the constitution 
that is given to the nation. And then from chapters 21 to 26, you've got the case law that works out those constitutional principles. And so when God addresses children and parents in the fifth commandment, he's really talking about families. He's wanting to order families. If the first four commandments taught us how to love God, the next six teach us how to operate in society with one another. And the starting point is to order properly the smallest building block of society, which is families, the beginning of society. One Christian writer says this, God intends the family to be our first hospital, our first school, our first government, our first church. If we do not respect authority at home, we will not respect it anywhere. It's well put that, isn't it? And so this commandment, like the previous four, arises out of the very character of God himself. For God exists in family. At the heart of the universe is a God who is in the family of the Trinity. The fact that God is plural and consists of three persons means that God is a God who exists in close, loving, other person-centered relationships and fellowship. And he's done so for eternity past. You don't want a God, by the way, who isn't plural. Because that means that for a very long time before the creation of the world, then God was a God who was happy with his own company. Essentially a selfish God. It also means that if God is not plural, if he's a singular monad, uh, it means that he's been so happy with his own company for eternity past that he creates in order to satisfy something in himself, maybe to alleviate his loneliness or his boredom. But that is not the God who rescued Israel from Egypt. The God of the Bible is a God who has never known a day without being in loving relationship with somebody else. God has never been lonely. He's always been in a family group. And that is why God loves people and wants to include them in his family. One of the most staggering chapters in the New Testament is John chapter 17, which is the real Lord's Prayer. The other Lord's Prayer that we say is, the prayer, is really the disciples' prayer. But the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that we are given in John chapter 17, Jesus says to his Father, can we open our family up to include all of these that you've given me? It's an extraordinary thought that we can be incorporated into the family that God has enjoyed for eternity past. God invented families. God believes in families. God calls us into his family. And God calls his church a family. Now, everybody knows that something has gone wrong with families. Today, families give us our greatest joy and our greatest sorrow. Everyone is part of a family. Everyone has had an experience of a family. It may have been a conventional family or an unconventional family. It may have been a happy family or an unhappy family. Right throughout the Bible, God deals with families. We've already seen it in the Ten Commandments uh, when he spoke about the sin of one generation affecting the generations to come. Do you remember that? 
It's wrong for us to emphasize our individuality totally and completely as our culture does. But it's also wrong for us to blame our fathers for our sins. Uh, modern therapeutic culture tells us that our parents are to blame for our families, or for our failures, rather. Um, I read a story a little while ago about a woman in America who, when she was caught shoplifting, she refused to plead guilty and instead sued her parents for not bringing her up properly. Is that not an extraordinary fact? I want to say only in, but that's rude, so I won't say it. The Bible's view is that each person is responsible for his or her own sins, but we are affected intergenerationally by our fathers and our grandparents and our forefathers. And so we come to the fifth commandment, which is all about families. Uh, listen to verse 12 of Exodus 20. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. It is the character of cults to divide children off from their parents and to fracture the family. But, the, but biblical Christianity calls on us to honor our parents. And actually, even ungodly parents are to be honored. Let's um, think about two things this morning with regards to this fifth commandment. First of all, the principle of honor. The governing principle that will ensure a measure of success in our families and in our society for that matter is to honor our parents. What does it mean to honor somebody? Uh, the Hebrew word for honor means heavy or weighty. Uh, it's the word in the, that the Old Testament uses for the glory of God. Honor and glory in the Old Testament are interchangeable words for the weightiness of his divine majesty. Therefore, to honor one's parents is to give due weight to their position in our lives. It's to give them the recognition that they deserve for their God-given place and authority that they have. It's interesting, honor is not an action, it's an attitude. Um, it, and because it's an attitude and not an action, it's an endless commandment. When have you honored your parents? You don't get to a, a full stop in honoring your parents. They always are to be honored, even after they are dead. They are to be honored in the way that you speak about them. You can always honor more. It's really how long is a, is a piece of string, which, of course, frustrates the Pharisee in us. You know, if it was pick up one piece of rubbish a day, well, you can tick that off, and you can feel like you've achieved something because that's measurable. But honor your parents is not a measurable command. It's just something that has to keep happening throughout your life. It's like love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. When have you... When have you obeyed that commandment? You've got to keep doing it, haven't you? And so built into the commandment is this ongoing nature of the commandment that we are to keep honoring parents. And it'll look different, of course, from culture to culture, won't it? And from time to time and from family to family. But it's always an attitude of weightiness, of respect towards parents. It'll mean different things at different stages of life. When you are young, according to Ephesians chapter 6, it means obedience. That's how you honor your parents. 
When my children were very little, we taught them that the way they obey Jesus is by obeying us. When they're little, that is the case. But as you grow older, honoring your parents will mean other things as your relationship with them changes. Um, In fact, a 50-year-old still living at home, behaving like a child, is dishonoring to his parents, isn't it? There comes a time when you can't behave like that anymore. When When you get married, the Bible says you are to forsake your parents. It's a very strong word, that. Genesis chapter, this is why mothers cry at weddings. They know that they're about to be forsook by their dear son or daughter. And it is dishonoring to your parents to not forsake them after you are married. And there are extraordinarily enormous marital struggles that come when that is not obeyed. When you get older, when your parents get older, honor looks like 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied their faith and is worse than a pagan. Look how strong that language is. And so honor looks different as we go through the different stages of life and as we get older. In 2004... It was one of those terrible Western European heat waves that struck Europe, and 15,000 people died in France alone. And what shamed the nation is that many thousands who died were elderly parents who died because they were left in their homes as their children and grandchildren went on family holidays, neglecting to take care of their own parents and grandparents. And as a result of that, the French have now legislated Article 207 of the French Civil Code that adult children are legally responsible for their elderly parents. Instead of farming them out, take care, honor them. They had to legislate that because it wasn't happening. It took a civil act in France to tell their children to honor their parents. Um, There's lots in the book of Proverbs about um, a son who brings honor or dishonor to his parents. A man's dignity and esteem and place in the community is affected positively or negatively by the children that he raises. Children can bring dishonor or they can bring honor to their parents. You, You honor your parents by the way that you live. Your life can bring them credit or can bring them shame. And how old do you have to be to cease obeying this commandment? Well, that is the question of the Pharisee. It's not the question of the person who wants to live for God in all of its fullness. Your parents are always your parents, even when they are dead. And so bringing honor or dishonor to their name never stops for as long as you are drawing breath. What about ungodly parents? I know they're going to ask me tonight at student church. What about ungodly parents? Um, Ungodly parents will be honored when we do what is right and not what they request. I've got a friend um, who uh, who is a colleague of mine who runs one of our biggest churches in KZN, the Zulu man. His name, how's this for his name? His name is Good Enough. Isn't that priceless? 
Gurdina from Tembu is one of our finest preachers in our denomination. One day I hope to have him here in our own pulpit. He's got a remarkable story. He grew up uh, in a home where his father was a polygamist who had four wives. And it was a very traditional upbringing. He herded cattle until the age of 12. He only got about two or three years of schooling in. And uh, it's wonderful to see how the Lord has lifted him up, took him through GWC, gave him a big, important church in KZN to run. And he's just a wonderful man of God. He told me this heart-rending story that when he became a Christian, he was in his early 20s, he went home to tell his father that he will no longer be participating in the veneration of the ancestors as the family did on a regular basis because he's now a Christian and he serves Jesus and he venerates Jesus and not the ancestors. And so he loves them, he wants to be part of the family, but he won't be participating in the sacrifices anymore, for that is against the gospel. And his father said to him, for that reason, I never, ever want to see you again. You are never welcome on the family homestead. I consider you dead. And so he left, and, he, and his father stuck to his word, and good enough never saw his father for 30 years. And then news came to him that his father was dying and was on his deathbed. And he went to go and speak to his father to try to talk to him about Jesus before he slipped into eternity. And, he, and the Lord was gracious because he gave him a few days with his father. And in those days, his father said to him, I realize out of all my children, of whom there were plenty, that you are the only one who has done anything with your life. Who is this Jesus? Tell me more. Isn't that lovely? It took 30 years of good enough disobeying his father and yet his father feeling honored by him. And so I, I think that with ungodly parents, we honor them by doing what is right, by fearing God, by going as far as we can to honor them, but sometimes entering into disobedience against them if necessary, for that ultimately is what is honoring, the principle of honor. Here's the second thing I want us to see in this verse, uh, and that is the promise of land. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. <clears throat> now, as, as, as much as many people have welcomed me and Lilibet to the promised land of Stellenbosch, I think that this command changes for us since we are no longer living under a theocratic form of government. But here is a promise that is linked to obedience to this commandment a promise that has to do with the land that Israel have not yet entered at the time of receiving these commandments. Um, they only enter uh, a number of years later, but here is something that promises something to do with the land, that they will live long in the land. Uh, broadly speaking, it can apply to us as a society that families, uh, if families are intact, that is always good for society. In our post-sexual revolution world, we are seeing the breakdown of families at an alarming rate. 
Um, and in fact, that is being uh, held up as the way of the future and the way of the world, that family structures are restricting and oppressive, and so we need to break free from them. And our society will pay a terrible price for that. As families disintegrate, so does a society follow suit. But Israel, when it comes to Israel, who were the original receivers of this commandment, let's remember that they have just moved from one kind of rule to another kind of rule. They've got a new ruler, and Israel's relationship with him is not like Israel's relationship with Pharaoh. That was the relationship between a slave owner and a slave. But do you remember repeatedly in the first 18 chapters that we looked at last term in the book of Exodus, that God calls Israel his firstborn son. They're moving from a relationship of slaves to a relationship of sons with God. When God gives the fifth commandment, he's saying more than honor your earthly parents, God's own fatherly relationship with Israel is what lies behind the commandment. God knows that deeply embedded in the human heart is the propensity for us to reject authority. It is natural for us to rebel against those in authority over us. Abandoning mother and father is not that difficult to do if you have already rejected God, your creator and your judge. If you dishonor God, it's a short step to dishonoring parents. And so God is concerned about that. He's setting up a nation which is to live in solidarity with the fathers, uh, with the patriarchs of that nation. If they're going to live long in that land, then they must continue to bring honor where honor is due. Bring honor to your parents who brought honor to their parents, who brought honor to their parents, who brought honor to Abraham. The father of Israel is Abraham. Um, I think that this commandment for us today means that we are to stand in the line of Abraham. Romans chapter 4 is a whole chapter in the New Testament dedicated to this subject that's worth going to read on your own time later today. But the thing that relates us to Abraham is not blood, but faith. One of the points that Paul wants to make in the book of Romans is that the thing that makes you a child of Abraham, the original child of God, is not that you are Jewish ethnically or genetically, but that you do what Abraham did, and that is that you trust the promises of God. You believe the gospel. We demonstrate that we are children of Abraham and therefore children of God by trusting in the promise of God, the gospel, just like Abraham did. To not believe the gospel, to reject Jesus, to fail to put our trust in him, is the supreme way in which we break the fifth commandment. For it dishonors our father, Abraham. I wonder if you remember that shocking encounter between Jesus and the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders in John chapter 8. I'm going to put a few verses up to remind you of it. They say to Jesus, Abraham, in verse 39, Abraham is our father. Um, they answered, if you were Abraham's children, Jesus said, then you would do what Abraham did. 
as it is you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham didn't do such things. And so they say to him, well, we have one father, God. And look at what Jesus says in verse 42. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I've not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Are you unable to hear what I say? You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. It's an extraordinary encounter, isn't it, between Jesus and the teachers of the law. It's an encounter about fatherhood, about honoring your father. In that case, Abraham. That's why this is the first command with a promise. And it's a very, very important promise. God's promise is you will be children of the promised land if you believe the gospel. That's the promise for us today. You will be part of the new heavens and the new earth if you behave like your father Abraham and trust in Jesus and believe the gospel. Friends, none of us has perfectly honored our parents. We need to be forgiven for that. Uh, as we put our trust in Christ, who, remember, obeyed his father even unto death. He obeyed God to death. We begin obeying the commandment because we are trusting in Christ, which is what Abraham did. And as we do that, we are forgiven for our failure to honor our parents, as we ought. But we also demonstrate honor to our great-great-grandfather Abraham by doing what he did, by believing the promise of God. And the promise for us non-Jews, for us Gentiles is the promise of forgiveness and inclusion in the people of God, which equals inclusion in the new promised land that has not yet come, but that is coming. So let me close by saying it might be that some of us here today need to apologize to our parents by way of repentance and acknowledgement of the fact that we've not been faithful to this commandment. For others, though, perhaps you, are, you do honor your earthly parents, and that's a wonderful thing, but are you believing the gospel? Have you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ so that you can obey Father Abraham and that you can have Jesus' honoring of his Father, his, obe his perfect obedience, accredited to your account today. Well, that's something to think about. And so why don't we just bow our heads and close our eyes, and I'll give you a moment of quiet reflection. And perhaps you want to say something to God in the privacy of your own heart.
Lord, thank you that you care about families and about children, uh, about people. Thank you that you are a God who exists in family and that we can approach you as somebody who is used to relationships and who loves relationships and loves people. We thank you also that you are our Father and that we are your sons and daughters. We pray for those who are here this morning, Lord, who need to do business with you on this matter and ask that you would reveal to them what it is that needs to be done. But we pray for all of us that we would continue to honor our parents, regardless of whether they were good or not, regardless of whether they are alive or not. But above all, Lord, we want to be those who, like Abraham, receive your dear son with all of our hearts and put our full weight on him for forgiveness of sin. And we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.